Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Welcome to episode 255 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of February 2019, and another Japan mini-sode with my good buddy and travel husband, David Eric Dako. <laughs> Ohio gozaimasu, travel husband. Hey, buddy. Uh, so actually, we meant to record this in Japan, but literally as we just kept going, we kept being more and more busy. And then the last day, I was like, ah, we didn't record the episode. We'll have to do it when we come back. And so David is sitting comfortably in his living room at home. I'm sitting comfortably in the studio at my home. And we're both drinking coffee. You're hearing yeah. some of the first out loud words I've spoken today, listeners. Yes. Ditto. Ditto. Good morning. So we're not going to do a NPR style uh, talk like this show. That would be a little bit boring. Plus, David wouldn't be able to hear me because he doesn't have the fancy microphone set up. We not wanted yet, to anyway. talk about not yet. That's right. We uh, we wanted to talk about the rest of our trip because there are some significant moments from this trip that we think we should share with you guys. Specifically, a couple things that I think everybody out there in the listenership should hear about. And that would be our trip to uh, Sukagawa which we'll talk about in just a minute. But first, let's pick up right where we left off. When last we met, the boys were in Kyoto, Japan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the, you know, we spent a lot of time in Kyoto. That was one of the things that I thought would be kind of fun to do is to spend, because it was affordable, spend some time staying in Kyoto. I'd always thought Kyoto was more expensive than it would allow me to, you know, stay there which is a terrible way to say that, blaming the coffee. Um, but basically, I always figured Kyoto was too expensive, and it wasn't. Airbnbs were very reasonable, and our Airbnb was extremely reasonable, and five minutes from the station. So it was almost like a no-brainer to to just use that. And if we stayed in Kyoto the whole time, that's awesome. And if we bounced out of Kyoto and went to different cities, that was awesome. Uh, we literally just stayed in Kyoto, though, and only pretty much went to Osaka one day. I did do a trip away from the guys, and that was where, um, because Keith wasn't feeling so well, we didn't feel good about uh, him going out to Stuart Galbraith's house. Stuart lives in Kyoto, but he lives on the outskirts. Uh, if you've heard, ooh, I don't know the episode, but I'll have to tag it in the show notes. He was on this one episode where we talked about uh, Japanese film because Stuart Galbraith IV is actually an author who's written several books that include tokusatsu films. Uh, the biggest one, of course, is The Monsters Are Attacking Tokyo. He kindly enough invited us out there to, uh, let's see, how would I say this? He has a farmhouse out in the wilderness of Kyoto, Japan. He moved there, I guess they bought it in order to turn it into like a rental property, but once they got out there, they are like, huh. We should just stay here. It's awesome out here. And I got to check it out. And it's really very interesting. Um, 
especially if you like Japanese architecture, I would say like, so your neighbor Ron would probably dig it the most. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm actually really sorry that we didn't get to go out there. It sounded like it was a great trip. Um, There wasn't much snow in Kyoto. It was flurrying a few days, as you remember, Mm -hmm. but you had said that you got up there, which I guess it was obviously a higher elevation. There was quite a bit of snow still on the ground around the farmhouse. Oh yeah. Lots of snow, lots of snow on the farmhouse, on the ground. The roads were fully plowed though. But actually, one of the things that when we were going out there, he picked me up from the train station. Yokai fiends. Here we go. This is some good information for you. Apparently, the station where I was picked up, Kurama Station, is really, really famously known for a very famous Tengu. If you've seen the Great Yokai War from Takashi Miike, there's a big giant Tengu in that movie, and it's supposed to be the same one, which I found out later on. Thanks to the Yokai Attack Group, where I posted the picture of me standing in front of the Tengu. Uh, Earlier in the year, actually, that Tengu, which is, uh, for the listeners that don't know what a Tengu is, it's basically as a red-faced demon with a really long nose. And this particular um, temple at Kurama has a gigantic Tengu mask on display, like... Probably the mask itself is about six feet tall, but because this, the mask is so big, height-wise, the nose is extremely long, and it got so much snow on it earlier this year that the nose broke off, <laughs> and so they had a Band-Aid on it at first, which was hilarious, and then uh, by the time I got there, they had already fixed the nose, wired it back up, so it was good to see it in working condition, but at the same time, I was like, oh no, this is the same... Tengu that I saw in that viral image. That was really That's cool. That's great. That's great. And maybe maybe some of the viewers who don't know what a Tengu is can can use Godzilla 1954 as a reference because in that scene on Odo Island where they do the exorcism right, um, the the priests or monks whoever are doing it are actually wearing Tengu masks. So you can sort of you know there see you what a Tengu yeah. like if you watch that film and. You know, here we go again, you know, learning Japanese culture and folklore through through kaiju films, which it was my first introduction to it and and how I became interested in learning more about it. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. And that, you know, I just love how it's so random. I didn't plan on going to, to Kurama Station. It was just like Stuart said, hey, I could pick you up at Kurama Station because that's literally the last, like, the furthest you can go on a train. And then I, he had to come get me from there. Uh, and yeah, it was it was really cool to see that uh, that Tengu mask, and really cool to be up there in that area because it was very different. Just um, in fact, David has been in the Nagano area in the wheel, you know, near the wilderness, I should say. Uh, you oh, were there, yeah, definitely in the wilderness for sure. Yeah, and <clears> so like it was just a, a very different vibe than being in a city, even like Kyoto, where it's like sort of a chill city, <laughs> you know, uh, being out there in the wilderness is like super, super quiet. And so really just very relaxing out there. Yeah, no, that's, I, it's, it's sad that we couldn't make it, but as you mentioned, Keith was, was not feeling a hundred percent and he basically stayed in the whole night. So that gave me the opportunity to sort of explore, um, our neighborhood by myself. So in the af- late afternoon after Kyle, left left us um <laughs> abandoned you <laughs> he abandoned us in kyoto um <laughs> let me let me start by saying we weren't on the main 
entrance to Kyoto Station, which is where a lot of the, the touristy hotels are and right. much more English speaking and, and tourist friendly things. We were on the more residential side on the back of the station, which was actually great. I love that. Um, but having said that, um, going out to eat uh, and some of the local restaurants was a little more challenging than perhaps on the other side because um, literally some restaurants said, sorry, no English menu on in, in the window, which I'm like, OK, well, maybe I won't go there. And um, and then some of the ones that did have an English menu, it was still kind of difficult to decipher what I, actually what I was ordering. Um, Kyle and I could talk more about that with our um, if, if we get to our chicken restaurant in. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we should totally talk about that at the end for sure. Uh, that was that was, that was a, a really fun night. But anyway, long story short, um, I went into one place that was called. I don't know the Japanese name, but in, in English, it was Japanese soul food. So I went, I walked in there because we had Kyle and I and Keith and I had spotted that during the day and it had always been closed. So I wanted to try it. So I walk in there, sit down at the, at the sushi bar or the, the bar and <clears throat> they didn't really have an English menu. And I'm looking around, I'm like, I'm not recognizing anything these people are eating. And, um, I got a little scared. So Basically, I didn't want to just get up and leave. So I asked the waiter, you know, do you take credit cards? And I knew they didn't. And he said, oh, no, I'm so sorry. We don't take credit cards. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I only have I only have credit card. So that 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 was my polite way to leave without just getting up and leaving. That was your easy out. That was that was my easy out. And, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I thought about that. I didn't want to be rude and want to just get up and leave. So, you know, I ended up going to a place that um, I ordered something that I, I kind of understood what it was. It was sort of a strange omelet soup uh, with a rice base and a really thick omelette soup. And it had shaved nori and little tiny white enoki mushrooms. It was actually very, very good. Mm. And I ordered one pork yakitori skewer because I recognized that. I'm, I'm pretty confident it was pork. It taste, tasted like pork. <laughs> and then uh, I ordered a rice ball with a spicy plum sauce on top. So it, it was a successful evening. But I underestimated my ability to sort of blend in without people around me. Like I'm more confident with Kyle, of course, and with Keith. And But when you're alone and no one is speaking English at all, mm-hmm. and it's clearly a neighborhood place where locals go, I didn't feel unwelcome, but I just felt like I really can't communicate like I usually do. So it, it was, it was a, def, a definite um, experience that, that, you know, um, I have to, you know, bone up on my my Japanese a little bit better for, for my next trip. You know, I got to say, there's times there's times when I go into places and I think when I walk in, I'm like, all right, let's do this. And <laughs> I can walk into a restaurant and if they don't have pictures on the menu or they don't have the fake food out front, sometimes it can be intimidating. I, I oh, remember, yeah. you know, when we were there in 2015, David, one of our travel buddies was Dell and Dell actually could read a little bit of Japanese. And so in Osaka, when we were staying in that samurai house, everybody walked around the neighborhood looking for a place to eat. And we found a place that looked like it had curry and stuff. And so we went in there and Dell was telling us, yep, they have chicken. I can see they have pork. 
I can see they have, and it was just like, oh, thank God this guy can read some because that's important for sure. And even, even with pictures, sometimes pictures are blurry and not really great pictures. You still can't tell what it is. Um, Case in point, my soup that I ordered, I I didn't really know what was in it because I couldn't really tell Mm -hmm. from the picture. And at that point I was super hungry because I had been wandering around for about 45 minutes trying to find the right place. And, um, I just, just said, okay, I'll try that. And, um, it ended up being, being really, really good. So, um, yeah, there's that. Awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> so what else did you do whilst I was gone at Stewart's place? Well, the next morning I got up early and I took a walk to a pretty famous Kyoto, uh, shrine slash temple called the Toji Pagoda. And it was about a little bit less than a mile from, from our place. And it basically a straight line, just walk straight towards, you could actually see the tip of it from the end of the street. So I just walked in that direction and I ran right into the entrance. So, um, that, that was pretty cool. So I got there, it was about $6 to get in. And, um, the only negative about that morning was the sun was rising behind the temple and basically my greatest shots, you know, where, where it would, would have been staged perfectly was completely backlit. So it was like this big giant silhouette. Oh yeah. So, um, I tried to do a little bit in the editing process to, to make some of them great, but, but we'll, I'm sure you'll see them as I post them. Um, they're not as good as they could be, but I did see some, some, um, I saw a crane and I saw a blue heron, uh, waiting around in the in the in the um, in the water over there, which is which is pretty cool. I did get some good shots of those, and then um, the actual um, pagoda itself is pretty impressive. It's pretty tall. I'm not quite sure exactly how tall it is, but it can be seen from you know uh, all over the city. Oh yeah, and and when you get up on the platform, there's four you know entrances: east, west, north, and south, and each one has a different deity. And uh, each direction represents a certain uh, something that you pray to, pray to like health, longevity, uh, prosperity, and and it was really neat to see that. And then they had two or three really large buildings that housed uh, very large statues of deities, very similar to Sanju Sangendo, uh, gold. Uh, gods and goddesses and demons and it was basically like a smaller version of that which was really pleased to see and i didn't know that was what i was going to see inside of those buildings Um, of course photography was strictly forbidden so what i did was um i i actually took pictures of the brochure um and and posted them underneath my photos of the building so people could actually see what was inside and um it was really 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 awesome I'm sorry you guys missed that. I actually am really sorry that I missed the Toji Shrine, uh, the, the pagoda specifically, because listeners should know it is one of the visually iconic landmarks of Kyoto. Like when you see, you know, picturesque photos of the city, that pagoda sticking up is definitely one of the things that identifies Kyoto. That's true. Yeah. And and it was very, very close to our to the place we were staying. So I was lucky to be able to do that by myself and and be able to just walk to it. And it was it was a really nice morning. It was a nice calm morning. And um, I was still actually back before you returned. You returned about noonish. Oh yeah, after. it took me a long time to get out to get away from uh, the countryside. Yeah, but it was 
it was a nice, a nice quiet morning to myself and, um, you know, just being able to, to, to venture out on my own and walk around in Japan, you know, alone is, it's, it's kind of a neat thing too. Yeah. It gave you an opportunity to scope out more of the neighborhood that we were in. Absolutely. Uh, so once I got back, we had, we had some lunch together at a, like a diner, like a Japanese diner, which had an English menu and it had the touchscreen menu too at the table, which I'm always a big fan of. And yeah, it was kind of like a Japanese Denny's, right, Kyle? It really kind of was. I mean, like it was very nice. I thought the food was good. I, I ordered like little tiny things like uh, some yakitori, some karaage and just like some some junk food, basically <laughs> Japanese junk food. No, it was good. Um, I ordered, Keith and I both ordered the same thing. It was like a Nabayaki udon uh, hot pot kind of thing. And, and then I got a little side order of sushi. It was, it was reasonable and good and fast. And, um, aside from the crying child, it was a lovely day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of another, one of our like, Oh, uh, serendipitous experiments. Like, Hey, let's check this out. And awesome. It was super good. After lunch, we sort of tried to figure out something that we could do that we had not done before. And there, you know, there's lots of options in Kyoto, but you know, some of them are further out than other areas. And, uh, as I was sort of looking at what we had on our list to do, I kind of was interested in, how would I say this? You remember how we went to the Fushimi Inari Shrine wicked early, right? Yes, indeed. Yes. So, so that was the original plan to do the same thing for the Arashiyama Bamboo Forest, which is like due west of Kyoto, but still only about a half an hour to get there on the train. Uh, thank goodness we didn't you know, only do that in the morning because we had this one uh, late evening to do something. And and I found a website that said Arashiyama Forest is actually a good place to visit later in the day because most of the tourists are kind of leaving. And then it sort of clears out a little bit. You still get a little bit of daylight. And so I said, what do you think? We could go check it out. We have a little bit of time to kill. And if it pays off, you know, we could have some awesome photos, (laughs) you know. It did pay off because... You know, we were sort of toying with what to do, and we felt a little bit guilty because Keith was still not 100%. So we didn't really want to do anything that he hadn't done before. So this was something that Kyle, Keith, and I had done in 2015 um, with with the group we were with. And um, sure enough, his... his uh, My hot tip? <laughs> your hot tip. That's exactly what it is. His hot tip turned out to be totally true. And, you know, we arrived there, and it was kind of misty, right? Like there was like a mist cloud and it was like a little drizzly, mm-hmm. yeah. still not raining at all, you know, in, in that sense. But so we get there and we noticed that the crowds were less walking from the train station over to the Grove. And then that was a really good sign. Yeah. And then once, once we got in there, um, it seemed like there was sort of a mass exodus happening. It was still busy AF, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. There were a lot of people there. There's still a lot of people there. But we we really did manage to to get some really good shots with basically just us in and, and the bamboo behind us like one or two at least and um add in a, a dash of patience and a dash of patience <laughs> and um yeah yeah that's true so so yeah that that was a really positive experience and then and then after the grove oh actually we did something different we followed the road all the way to the end and then we decided to walk a little bit further up and there's a really beautiful overlook that overlooks this valley and this river or stream that's um, down below that was really quite, quite beautiful that 
you know, we didn't expect to see also. And then on the way back to the station, we decided to go get a cup of uh, green tea and, and rest our weary bones for a little bit. We were uh, listening to um, Old Lang Syme <laughs> maybe, over and over again. I, and, like, I like how you say listening to instead of bombarded with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had no choice but to listen to this very strange sort of calypso version of Old Lang Syme, <laughs> which was so kind bizarre. of surreal. Really surreal. And bizarre. And then, and then Kyle said, you know, are you, are you about ready to leave? I said, yeah, I can't take one more second of old Lang Syme. So with that, we hightailed it out of there and headed back to um, our neighborhood in Kyoto. But it was a great little excursion. And I think it's a great example of uh, a, like a little surprise you can find along the way if you don't sort of have every single piece of your day planned out. If you sort of take your trips a little more relaxed, uh, you know, which is not how I did things four years ago in Japan. Uh, but, you know, definitely it was one of those things. Like, I was like, oh, we we could do this. We could just run up and, and check it out. Uh, the other thing we were thinking about doing was going to Nara, which is right. still <laughs> on the list. Still things I can do. Still, future trips. <laughs> exactly, Absolutely. future trips. So, uh yeah, the Arashiyama Forest, for those who don't know, I will have links in the show notes, of course, to uh, things talking about the Arashiyama Forest. If you ever go to that forest, you should also know that, like David said, there is an overlook that looks over this valley uh, with this little river. Actually, one of the things I loved about that little river is there was actually, there were some boats actually in the little river. That's so true. you get a good, right. good sense of scale from the photos of how high up we were. I think we went at not the optimum time to see that valley because I think if we went in the spring, everything would have been sort of green and blooming. And if we went in the fall, all of those leaves would have been been changing and and, and the colors would have been spectacular. It was still great to see it in, in, in any any season, but I think our season was probably the least least dramatic. Yeah, it right. was like uh, it wasn't very foliage heavy, but it was sure. still very beautiful. It was and totally beautiful. You know, the Arashiyama forest is, um, it's, so it's this bamboo forest. It's very beautiful. And inside of the forest, what we went to last time we were there was Tenryuji, the big temple, which was like my favorite temple I've ever been to. It's like got this beautiful reflecting pond. It's just Zen AF. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. uh, But we didn't go this time. And there's less people there too than the, than, than the bamboo grove. It's a nice little, you know, sort of um, contrast to to the the hordes of people. I mean, it was busy, yeah, but not on the scale of the bamboo of, of the bamboo grove. And our neighbors, uh, Ron and Jillian and Zoe, actually went to the bamboo grove and they went to the to the temple also. And when they got to the temple, this, there was hardly anybody in there. Oh, that's fantastic! Which was really great. And and Jillian said that it was like you, Kyle, was one of the the most serene places she has ever seen in her life. And um, yeah. So the Arashiyama area was also on my if it snows list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because not only would you get like the snow dusting the actual bamboo forest, which would be, you know, really cool to see. uh, There's this bridge called the Togetsukyo Bridge, which goes over the Katsura River. And it is a it's like an iconic old, 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 old school Kyoto landmark. You see it in... um, some very famous woodcuts of the Kyoto area. And if it had snowed, 
I would be like, yeah. we've definitely got to go there. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But, but it's another thing to still left to do. Head over that bridge. And there's actually a monkey park right on the other side of that bridge. So something else for Keith to do next time he goes to Kyoto. Absolutely. And and we, speaking of monkeys, we did see those signs um, that there's monkeys all around where, where we were walking behind the grove too. So um, if if you hit it right, you may actually encounter some some Japanese macaques. Yeah, yeah. Which would be great. They also had warning signs for, I think, boars and maybe bears as well. That's true. That's yeah. right. They did yeah. Lions and tigers and boars. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, oh. I don't think that I don't think that Warner Brothers is going to hit us with anything there for for copyright. Uh, Just kidding. I don't even know if Warner Brothers does. The they do not. That was MGM. Oh, well, then you, whoever. You illiterate Wizard of Oz person. I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, that night, however, Keith was still feeling ill. And so David and I had a lovely dinner inside of the Kyoto station. We had a beef cutlet. I oh, had, that's right. I, I had a, like, it was almost like a tonkatsu where they have the breaded cutlet served on a bed of shredded cabbage. That was what I had. And David had the uh, the same cutlet, but in curry, right? That's correct. Mm, I'm looking at the picture right now. We ate like really kings good. on this trip, by the way, guys. We did. We, we ate some really awesome food. And, you know, to wash it down, we just went, we didn't recognize the beer, but we had a, a local Kyoto beer um, a, a very malty, delicious beer that w- went perfectly well with that with that dish, with that meal. Special draft, Hachijo special, beer. Right, special draft. And um, it, it was just so good. It was really good. It was a nice, we had, we had a nice conversation. Um, we didn't wait. There was no wait. Like that train station, the restaurants, there was lines out the door in almost every place. But And we, 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 we both weren't starving, so we were able to sort of meander around and see what the exact perfect place to find. And sure enough, this place, you know, looked like it was the perfect place and there was no wait, which was just like completely perfect. Yeah. That is, that is the (laughs) definition of a perfect place quite often when I'm in Japan, like, Oh, no waiting. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's true. That's because those stations can be a little bit overwhelming. And, um, you know, we knew we wanted to try something different and, you know, uh, it's, it's very hard. There's so much to choose from. So eating can be sort of, you have to really think about what you want to eat mm-hmm. and how long you want to wait and, and all that stuff. But as Kyle said before, I don't think I, I've eaten so well. I mean, this that was my fourth trip to Japan. By far, this was the best I've eaten. And, and, and by best, I mean not the most expensive either. I mean, we didn't pay tons of money. I mean, I think the most we paid for meals is like 15 bucks. I mean, that's the most on the high end. The, well, I will say only because I was uploading pictures of Hokkaido that we did splurge at the Yakiniku place at one time. But that was like amazing and worth being like a $50 meal, basically. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, Hokkaido um, tended to be a uh, Sapporo itself tended to be a little bit more expensive than some of the other cities that we visited. Agree. I think maybe because it was the height of the snow festival and they could just do it. Probably. I think it's just like it's like I think they just like did the same thing in, in big cities where it's like, well, we're tacking on a little bit extra, you know. Yeah. And I mean, well, for, well, well, worth. I mean, didn't 
have any bad meals, to be honest. No, and it didn't break the bank. Like, I would say even that uh, we went to Gyukaku, which is a chain of yakiniku places, and they're known for this deal, this all-you-can-eat deal from this menu, you you know, for X amount of dollars or X amount of yen. And so that, like, we knew that going into it, so it wasn't, like, a shock to see that sticker price. Um, but, yeah, overall, I'd say, like, just a smidge more expensive. But And, and the ramen we had in Kyoto, that uh, black ramen place, that was a little more expensive, you know, than normal. <laughs> right? 50 bucks, and I would have eaten it. That, that still... We didn't talk about that, or did we talk about that on the last Yeah, we talked about that on the last one. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to give it another shout-out. That was, <laughs> was life-changing ramen, probably the best ramen. Not probably, definitely the best ramen I've ever had. Yeah, I came back home, actually. So the, I, we can say this, because we were not. if we had recorded this in Japan, I wouldn't be able to say this. I came back home to my fellow ramen head boss, and uh, I was like, dude dude, you've got to try the black ramen at Kyoto Gyogo. Next time you go back to Japan, he goes, mm-hmm. excellent. I have something to live for now. And I, <laughs> you know, for sure. And I noticed that you posted that you ate your cocoa curry already. You, you just have to have that. <laughs> and, and as I'm looking at your photo, I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I take a box or two home? Because you know, it, it just looked really good. And, and how did it taste? Was it just as good? It was almost as good. I feel almost, like there's, yeah. they they probably have to put some sort of preservative in there in the box, uh, in the pouch that okay. makes it not as good as if you were actually okay. at the restaurant. But it was still pretty damn good. I actually made gotcha. a little omelet with it. Oh, cool. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right so on, anyway, right back to <laughs> it. Uh, we sort of finished our night and that was our last full day in Kyoto. So the next day we got up, packed up, got ready to go back up to Tokyo. And thankfully our Airbnb host let us check in early, which was awesome. Uh, so we got to Tokyo, got to the house, uh, got into the apartment and Keith wasn't feeling so good still. So David and I decided, well, this is, this is a great opportunity for him to chill at the house and for <laughs> us to go wild in Tokyo. Oh, yeah. So we mm-hmm. went kaiju shopping. We went to, because uh, I didn't, you know, this whole trip is barely about uh, kaiju anything, essentially. And so I said, you know, I know for a fact that, that I want some figures. I have, because sometimes I go to Japan and I have like a wish list, really. I have a hit list, I guess you could say. And there were some figures that I was on the hunt for. One of them was a Marusan glow-in-the-dark Godzilla figure that I had seen at a Parco event in December. And I saw it the very first day we were there, and I said, I don't need to spend that money right now. I'll come back to this later and see if I can get it. And of course, I came back to the event later, and that was gone. Then that meant I'm obsessing over this figure. So I've been bookmarked <laughs> on Yahoo Japan. I'd basically been checking out this auction on Yahoo Japan, and then when I got to Tokyo, it showed up at one of the stores. And I was like, David, look, this is the figure I want. <laughs> They've got it here at the Shibuya shop. If they can only just keep it in stock. Cause you know, Mandarake for the listeners out there, Mandarake is a secondhand used shop. Really? You don't get anything brand new there. I mean, even though the Japanese generally treat their stuff very well, if you get something from Mandarake, it's going to feel brand new, but it's all pre-owned technically speaking. That's a good point because they always, 
when you bring something up to the counter, they always make sure you go over it to make sure it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yep. yep. And, and, and like Kyle said, they're pretty much like new. I mean, they, they wrap them back up and a lot of them have the original packaging still, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's definitely like a, a, a high end secondhand store. Yeah, totally. And so what I knew is that if they have it, they that means they only have one. You know what I mean? So sometimes different stores will have the same item. So you can like look at one item and it might tell you that it's in stock at the Nakano store or maybe over in Utsunomiya or the Sapporo store or wherever. But most of the time when you see something on Mandarake's website, that means that's the one thing they have in stock. And they had this Marusan that, and David, I don't actually know the the sculpt. The blue one is the one I'm talking about. So that's yeah. originally like a bull mark or something, right? Yeah, it's it's based on the the very first Godzilla vinyl toy. It's based on the original bull mark slash Marusan sculpt, and um, I think the scale is pretty much on point with the original. It's not smaller or bigger. I think it's pretty much right on, as far as I know. I didn't I didn't really scrutinize it too much, but. It's a beautiful figure, and um, it's nice because it doesn't look like it's a glow figure. It's painted really well, and then when you put it, I mean, Kyle actually did did, did a test um, at, when we got back to the uh, Airbnb, and it, it glows like it, like you know, like like crazy. So like a light bulb, yeah. It's also it's made one of the things that I the reasons I guess I would say that I obsessed over it is because I have a handful of glow figures. And every single one of them is made of that sort of translucent, almost right. uh, yellowish, greenish, whitish vinyl. This one, however, is like an ice blue glow in the dark vinyl. And I had never seen that before. And I was like, how is this a glow figure? Is it just painted like that? But no, the actual vinyl is this really light blue. And yeah, glows like a champ under the black light. I can mm. say it now that I'm home. Oh, I bet. I bet. When you, when you checked out the black light situation. So yeah, we we did um, we did just basically a whirlwind kaiju shopping day. We went to all of the usual suspects, and then uh, we even tried that little shop um, by I, I can't I can never remember. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, let me let's back up a step. So we went to Nakano Broadway, which is actually I didn't find the Marusan figure there. There was another figure at the Nakano Broadway that I wanted. By a company called Yamanaya. It was a glow-in-the-dark figure. It was a glow-in-the-dark giraffe. Giraffe. Luckily, they did not sell out of that, so I was happily able to get that as well. So we trooled around Nakano Broadway for a little bit. Uh, went to... We actually went to the shop where you picked up a vintage figure, and it we seemed did. very different. It seemed very different. It seemed it seemed like um, bigger and for some reason. And then they had... they. The, I, I went right to the case where I found the figure in, and they had a few pieces in there, but not nothing on the level of what we saw that first time. Mm, yeah. And, uh, uh, it's funny. It's a funny story. You know, as Kyle mentioned, the first week of the trip, we didn't really even think too much about, uh, you know, kaiju toy shopping aside from just, you know, sticking our heads into the Mandarake and Sapporo, mm-hmm. which we, which we talked about a little bit before. But um, this was really the first time that we were, you know, on a hunt for things. And and I I didn't see anything. Actually, that's not true. I saw a lot of things that I, that I liked, but nothing that really was like, you need to grab this, you need to grab this. So it's that weird feeling. And, and I, I, Kyle and I had a discussion about it. It's like, I'm not going to buy something just because I'm here, just because I'm. it's in Japan, if, if I don't really want it. And reluctantly, we left Nakano Broadway and I hadn't bought anything. 
um, which, which is, you know, kind of, kind of a milestone for me. <laughs> but you, you touch on a really good point, which I, I think a lot of people, including myself, especially my first trip, I mean, I would, I, my first trip to Japan, I bought everything that I saw that tickled my fancy. Basically, I was like, oh, my God, I love that. I've always wanted that, you know. And now that we've you and I have been back several times together and on our own, like we are a little more discerning now with our money. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the things that that I personally picked up on this trip, we did a lot of little quirky, interesting things. Um, many, many trips to the Gashapon machines. Uh, <laughs> so um, many. About, about 50% successful. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that kind of stuff uh, is always like a lot of fun to get. And it's, it's inexpensive. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm not going to buy it just for the sake of buying it. I really want to love it and have it. Mm. Although I could have. There was, you know, a lot of things that 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 I, I could have picked up, but um, I'm just so glad that you were able to bookmark those two items. I don't, I don't think the viewers know how cool it is that you've been looking at these figures for you know a long time online in these different shops, and you're like, well, maybe they'll be there when I when I go, and I won't have to be tipping. <laughs> and I'll be damned if both figures weren't right there, and he spotted them like within the first you know three minutes of being in the shops which was really, really cool. And um, yeah, so uh, that uh, that brings us to the Shibuya store, right? Yes, that does. Well, actually, maybe before we hit Shibuya, well, let's talk about Shibuya now, and then we'll, we'll sort of backfill in with a little bit of uh, the Koenji side of things. Sure. Uh, Sh- Shibuya is, you know, a crazy, crazy busy area, hectic. Like, it's like Times Square times 10, and it's where the statue of Hachiko is at the train station. And you sort of fight your way through the crowds. And and um, I didn't remember that Mandarake being so far away from the train station. I thought it was like right there. But anyway, we found it. Kyle found it. And um, we go downstairs and it's super hot in there. Like it, I, when I'm talking hot, I'm talking like it's super hot in there. And they, they like to punish their customers. They do. They do. <laughs> And, you know, Kyle went off in search of that. Uh, I think it was the, was it the Giras? No, it was the, the Marasan. The Marasan was from Shibuya, yeah. And then I was, you know, wandering around and I saw this case with model kits in it. And then I saw this really cool model kit, uh, about a 25 centimeter model kit. It was the um, and, uh, Godzilla that represented the maquette figure from the 1954 film. And... Um, I asked the, the man to, to if I could you know see what it is and check it out, and it, it, it indeed was resin. And I found out later that it was uh, released in 1992 by Kyoto, and it was a, a built-in painted resin kit, and it was really really well done, beautiful. Like I was impressed with the way it looked. So I held it, picked it up, looked at it, and I said, "I'm going to think about it." So he put it back. I wandered around a little bit, met back up with Kyle, showed him. He said, oh, that's really cool. And then I'm like, ah, I'm not sure I can get it home. It's resin, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So I asked him to go get it again. He took it out. They wrapped it up really well in bubble wrap. And then I uh, wrapped it again in bubble wrap when we got back to our Airbnb. And uh, you'll all be happy to know he made it safely back to Seattle in one piece. So it, it, it was one of those things where 
that we've talked about before, you know, on our own that, you know, when you don't have an agenda, you don't have something that you're, you're looking for specifically, you just turn the corner and you're like, Oh my God, what is that? You know, I never knew that existed or I've never seen that in person. And that's what I love about toy shopping in Japan. And it's, it's not about, you know, things that you may be able to get online or at like, uh, you see regularly something that, that you just don't know you're going to find. And then you ended up and end up getting it. And you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. So, so yeah, that, that, that was a really happy moment for me. Yeah. I love that you were able to pick something up at, uh, in Shibuya or, you know, just during our toy trip out, just because seeing like what you're sort of saying, like seeing something that you didn't know you wanted, but that's going to fit like perfectly into your collection. You know, one of the reasons that I was like, dude, you should totally get that. That is awesome is because I know David's collection like mine. We're at capacity pretty much. And so, much. Yeah. you know, we can't buy like, okay, last time we were here together, last time we we're in Japan together in 2015, David bought a big giant figure. You know, he bought the, the old uh, figure that was, that the Shogun Warriors toy was based on. But the Japanese yeah, version, yeah. you know, so that was a huge oh, buy this last time. Kobe Jumbo Saurus, yeah. You, you couldn't get another one of those guys this time around. So no, you found a beautifully compact little resin kit that he doesn't have to move anything out of his collection to fit in, I'm sure. It can sit somewhere along those models. Yes, I could slide something over and he'll fit in there. Yeah, yeah. Because it like... It was anyway, it's like uh it's probably about the size of a marmot monster heaven figure, you know, or maybe a little bit smaller. It's a really nice nice uh not a vinyl kit, resin kit. And I'm just really happy that you were able to find something uh when we were out. And really too. cool too, really cool. Unique. Yeah. It's it's about the size of an old Kyoto vinyl kit, like the it's a little bigger than 20 centimeters and not quite 25 centimeters, kind of that in-between scale. And um, yeah, it's, it's perfect. And, and again, one of those things that, that uh, I never expected to see it or, or even, or even get it. So now it's here and I'm happy and he's, he's okay. That's awesome. I'm really glad he made it home safe. Uh, in addition to the Nakano Broadway and in addition to the Shibuya Mandarakes, we traveled to an area called Koenji where we tried to hit a shop called Ichiban Boshi. And this is now the third time I've tried to hit that store in recent years and found them uh, closed, unfortunately. Uh, there's a store next to Ichiban Boshi called Starcase, which sells a bunch of Star Wars figures. So we popped our heads in there since they were open as a <laughs> consolation prize. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I was like, well, Dave, have you ever been to Godzilla? Because that's a very famous old school gem of a Godzilla of a I guess kaiju vinyl store in the Koenji area and so he had not and so we went and checked out Godzilla ya which has both an upstairs store and a downstairs bar but we we didn't go to the bar we just went to the store upstairs checked it out and uh, yeah it was cool it was it was very that it was kind of under the under the train station sort of yeah under the tracks yeah yeah under literally under the tracks and it was kind of dark and, and cool and sort of blade runnery under there. Um, I really, really liked that whole vibe. It, it was like, sort of like, uh, I know I'd be hanging out there if, if you know, we lived in, in the area. Uh, cause there's, there's some people up, you know, sitting under there having beers and, 
you know, uh, eating some cool food and it looked like a bunch of cool people hanging out there. So I like, I like that part of it too. Yeah. Very lowbrow, very lowbrow, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so we, you know, it was a, it was kind of a, a nice compact time to go toy shopping. And then we sort of finished things off with hitting the Godzilla store. Yeah. Great. It was, um, exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was a bright, slick, modern, like sort of a pop-up in a department store. Um, but it encompassed like a good, uh, portion of the front corner of this, of this area. And um, it was, you know, lit really well. They had a lot of great fun things. We were in there for about 40 minutes looking around. Yeah, they've um, got a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it's a lot of stuff you can't get elsewhere. Yeah, I, I like that. There's some things that are exclusive to that store. Uh, Jay Davis had actually ventured there for me to get the little Defo Real uh, Shodai Godzilla train biter that uh, the the black and white monochrome version that's on the city base that's only sold in that store. And I almost wish that he hadn't, so I could have picked it up myself, but <laughs> um, it was, it was still there and, you know, looking really good. And, and what's kind of cool about this is they have, you know, a smattering of X plus figures throughout the store on the shelves and they, for Christmas, they, you know, did sort of like little, they dressed them up in little holiday outfits. And now it's winter. They sort of had like little scarves and earmuffs. And, and one of the Godzillas was like in a wrapped in a futon with, you know, just really, really cute, fun stuff uh, to see in there. And, um, you know, you were, you were, you were indeed allowed to take photos, which was great. And um, didn't really get too much from there except for a few little trinkets for, for some friends, um, some, some little souvenirs, but Kyle ended up getting a, co- a couple of cool things. I'm sure he'll like to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I picked up, you know, I've been getting these like books They're Um, they actually have a name and they're right behind me so I can pick one out easily. Uh, they are called the Toho special effects movies, authentic visual books. <clears throat> you know, just flows right off the tongue there. And they're basically these probably like 40 page books with really high quality photos uh, taking up an, an entire photo. Fo- you know, Dave, this is funny because remember when we went to the Hail to the King trip, I basically told you all of these freaking books that come out in Japan have the tiniest photos of of uh, these behind the scenes stuff. Like you can never get any good pictures of like what the suit looks like or what the prop looks like, because they're all these teeny tiny photos with, with text splashed all over them. And I got really irate in 2014 about it. So we wanted to make our, our hail to the King photo book for the uh, backers be like, you turn the page and the like prop takes up the entire page. Uh, Now, of course they've listened to me and these books are out. And these books are amazing. So like, they're just, they're 10 bucks. They're, I mean, it's, they're cheap. So I picked up one for Monster Zero, which is of course one of my favorite movies and one of Dave's favorite movies. Mine too. Um, And also uh, a bunch of like little stickers. I grabbed a whole bunch of things for uh, very late prize packs, (laughs) you know? So those listening that are the winners for the prize packs, Hey, I did my job over there. And, uh, uh, but yeah, overall, you know, those, the, uh, other thing that I picked up, I picked up a box of Godzilla ramen 
That's what I was talking about. That's the cool thing. Godzilla ramen. Come on now. I know. <laughs> like it's funny because that Godzilla ramen, that box of what I'm sure is not going to be even close to what we got in Kyoto, was the same price as the black ramen in Kyoto. <laughs> ramen, Kyle, come on! I know, right? I've got to prove to the world how big of a ramen head and a Godzilla fan I am. <sighs> anyway, so I picked up and a couple I, things like succeeded. that. You've definitely succeeded. In- <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed with that too. So, okay. so anyway, if, if you guys, uh, listeners, are in uh, Shinjuku, um, make sure you do absolutely check out the Godzilla store. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's accessible. There's things all different price ranges, and um, it's great for a couple of souvenirs that you can't get anywhere else. Let's see. So then we went back, and uh, now I think that's when we can tell our yakitori story. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So basically, we went back to the area we were staying, and we were staying in an area of very non-trendy area, like a. Um, uh, one of the things that I read about it was that it's very quiet because there are no real tourist spots. The most touristy thing you can do at the area we were staring, staying, which is uh, Komagome Station, uh, is you can go to the the um, Japanese gardens there. There's two gardens, and like that's really low on people's priorities, I guess, in February. So there just wasn't a lot to do in that area, except walk through the shopping street, check it out. Uh, one of the places that we saw had chickens emblazoned in big... Uh, paintings on the outside of the shop. And so we're like, well, this place is definitely a yakitori place. I think they serve chicken. I definitely think (laughs) chicken is on the menu there. (laughs) So yeah, it's a yakitori place. I actually don't remember the name. Um, I think it's a chain though, because I'm fairly positive. Did we not see one of those in like Nakano or something like that? We saw one in, in one of the, the places that we, we that we were at before, and um, you can't miss it, really. I mean, there's these beautiful, like, illustrate uh, paintings, il- illustrated paintings of roosters and chickens all over, and it's it's bright and colorful, and, and you really can't miss it. It's, like, undeniable. Like, when you walk down the street, it's like – because, you, you know, uh, well, maybe you don't know, in Japan, there's – all the restaurants are, are sort of in competition with one another to get your attention – and in in these areas where there's a lot of bars and restaurants, and this one definitely got our attention. Yeah, more than some of the others. Yeah, they had a the, so yeah, they have all these advertisements out that say you know beer this much, and like that was oh one of the God. things that got us in. And then once you get in the restaurant, you're like, wait, where's that sign that says that that beer? Uh, so we ordered something different. Actually, yeah, let's talk about that now. We ordered, we thought we were ordering beer. But we ended up ordering, I guess a hoppy high, a, a hoppy highball or something like that. Uh, there's a there's a brand of beer called Hoppy. I'm looking at the uh, the my picture of the label right now. It's a really dark beer. They actually, I guess they have a light beer as well. Uh, but this Hoppy, they bring out this beer bottle and a highball glass that has ice and I'm assuming water in the bottom. And yeah, you mix yeah, an inch of water in the bottom yeah, too. Yeah, and you mix the two together, and it was like, "What are we doing here?" We had no idea. We were completely out of our element because this place had no English on the menu. None, zero. So it was definitely an adventure for David and I. 
Uh, we're <laughs> comically, I think, using Google Translate on the phone to see if we could try and translate some of the stuff on the menu. Because I'll tell you, listeners, the Japanese do like to do, uh, they like to grill up just about every part of the chicken. Mm, yes, they do. And uh, uh, we wanted to avoid a couple of parts of the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did. We successfully avoided those parts of the chicken. Yeah, I think I think we came through that experiment with flying colors, to be perfectly honest. Uh, 100%. And, you know, Kyle was talking about the beer. I really liked the beer. I yeah. thought beer highball might be a thing for me now, man. It was really good. And um, at first the jury was out. And, and you, you don't understand, you can't grasp the look on our faces when they put the beer down and then the glass with ice and had a little, each one had a little stirrer inside too. We're like, what the hell are we going to do with this? <laughs> and then we're, I think we pour this in here. Um, you're on the not something that we've had every day, mm. but it ended up being really good. And it, and it complemented the, the saltiness of the chicken really, really well. And um, yeah. And, and like I said, Kyle said that we, Went in there for a dollar ninety nine Sapporo, which we never actually found on the menu. No, <laughs> um, on the outside menu, and and you have to understand when you go into a Japanese restaurant, you get bombarded with several different types of menus. You get like a drink menu, which is really big. You get a food menu, which is really big. You get an appetizer menu, and then you get an English menu, but, and then the specials menu. You know, like oh, the specials oh, yeah. menus. So yeah, yeah. Literally, there's like five menus that are are in front of you, and you're kind of like. Okay, let's see if we can figure this out. But um, we 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 were both really kind of um, enjoying the whole process, you know. And we were laughing, and, and we're like, "Let's get another one of those. Um, that one's really good." Yeah, uh, let's get five more of those. Yeah, <laughs> we ordered quite a bit, and I think it was it ended up being just under fifteen dollars a piece, which was not bad at all. I think that is exactly right. Uh, I mean, we were. We didn't have dessert, but we were we were full and and satisfied, not gorged, not not gorged, and um, it was good. It was really good, and I, and I think the winner winner chicken dinner was actually the uh, skewer of chicken skin. Yes, the absolutely the chicken skin. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get one of those. And then they brought out our two sticks, and we ate the two sticks. And I was like, okay, that was so good. I'm going to need at least two more of them. And uh, yeah. yeah, so we had chicken skin. We had uh, negi tori or tori negi. I can't remember which comes first, but tori means chicken. Negi is the green, green onions. Um, that was good. I'm pretty sure we had a chicken breast that was um, that they had the tare sauce on. And then we also ordered off the chicken menu. We ordered some veggies. There were some mushrooms. Uh, right. There was lotus root. We got some quail eggs too. We had quail, quail eggs. eggs. Oh, the quail eggs were so good. They deep fry them, so they deep mm. fry these quail eggs. I don't even think they put them on the grill. Uh, no, no, they were fantastic. Uh, so good. good. Nice and texture. What else we was also there? The the, uh, the chicken breasts pieces with, uh, with, oh, with a lot the, of wasabi. Oh, so a lot of wasabi on yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, it was fantastic. Yeah. So we basically ate the hell out of that place. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we conquered it. Yeah. Stumbled back to the stumbled. back. We weren't drunk. I shouldn't say stumbled, made our way back to the house and uh, called it a day because the next day we oh, went yeah. on a 
awesome journey. We were joined by a friend and listener, Butch Portillo, who came up to Sukagawa with us. David, why did we go up to Sukagawa? Well, Sukagawa is the home of Eiji Tsuburaya. And um, uh, there is an amazing new-ish museum that uh, chronicles his life and his accomplishments in film. And um, in the center of this museum, as the showpiece, is the beautiful reproduction of the Shodai Godzilla suit that they produced for, remind me what they produced it for, was it Godzilla's birthday? Yeah, 64th birthday, They uh, last year in the Ginza district, when they had the 64th birthday, they brought out this actual person wearing this Godzilla suit sculpted by Yuji Sakai. And this suit is on display right in the center of, of this exhibit, which was on the fifth floor. Um, we were very excited going up the stairs to, to see it. And um, it was, I, I can't even describe how amazing the suit looked. It almost looked like a model. You couldn't really tell it was a suit. Um, it's so detailed, so incredibly well done. And um, it's the first thing you see when you, when you go up the stairs. And uh, around the suit, they have an incredibly well-curated array of photographs, displays, uh, figures, a lot of resin figures that X-Plus used for their sculpts. And I had never seen, we had never seen the actual resin pieces that these these, these uh, figures were, were um, made from. And they're, they're a bit larger and painted up perfectly and um, just completely overwhelming. And um, why don't you give your impressions when, when, uh, when you walked up the stairs as well? Yeah, well, I mean, like David said, the very first thing you see is this gigantic Godzilla. And it's just exquisite. This sculpt is beautiful. Magnificent. Uh, I mean, it also should be said that this Godzilla, it looks like a statue in the actual display, but it is an actual suit. Because not only did someone wear it at the birthday, they filmed something for it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But So it is... It's worth noting that it's not just a statue because there's a lot of statues around in Sukagawa because of it being the birthplace of Eji Tsuburaya, the road leading up to... That's okay. That's okay. The the road, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but the road leading up to the museum has 11 ultra statues, ultra men and ultra kaiju lining the road that we looked at before and after. So it's it's apt that we can just kind of breeze through this right now. But since there are so many statues, I just wanted to make sure that the, the listeners know if you go up there, that's not just a statue. That is an actual suit that someone could put on and tromp through a city. It is very, very beautiful. Uh, and like David said, surrounded by these amazing displays. I, I, it's hard to describe because we were not we were not able to take pictures of it. We got scolded pretty quickly <laughs> about... Yeah, that was the frustrating part, for yeah. sure. Um, because, you know... Personally, it was kind of my bad. I was the first one up there. And you know me, I immediately started shooting the suit. And, um, you know, she politely told me only the Godzilla can be photographed. And then I went over to the Godzilla and I was using the flash. I got got off one flash photo and she says, I'm sorry, no flash. 
And I'm like, okay, I better just quit and not do anything else besides the suit because three strikes and I'm out. So that was already two strikes. So, um, yeah. And I tried to film some, I tried to film some stuff too, because I was going to shoot a video for the Kaiju Cast YouTube page there. And they were just like, we're going to shut you down super hard, sir. Yeah, they did. did. And um, actually, they went so far as to ask Butch if he would delete, because he started to shoot too. If they would, if he would delete some of the photos, and um, yeah, they were they're very serious about about not shooting the other things in this exhibit, and and I'll never forget it. But I really wish we could have it for you guys to see the magnificence of it, and and you know, sort of it it would be to their benefit because more people would go to it if they saw what this museum had to offer. Am I yeah, right? I think so because I think, in all honesty, like. The Godzilla suit is a pretty big draw, but we already knew about the Subaraya Museum, you know, and if someone if someone's saying, oh, what's this Subaraya Museum all about? They might want to know how big it is, what it encompasses. They might not need to see like hyper detailed photos of every single thing that they produced for the museum. But we're here to tell you guys a little bit about the museum, because not only did it have the Godzilla suit, it had a chronicling of A.G. Tsuburaya's life. And they did so with these amazing little displays, you know, pinpointing certain times of his life, like 1966 when he did Ultraman, and then, you know, 1954 when he did the 19, you know, the, the original Godzilla movie. There's a whole bunch of times that they've bookmarked, dog-eared, I guess you could say, and they have built a display around that particular time of his life. Like, there's a very large display of King Kong because seeing King Kong in the theater was a life-changing event for him and really shaped the rest of his, you know, career. And so they have a little display dedicated to him seeing King Kong. And as Kyle, you know, I think one of the things that you were most impressed with that we talked about on the train ride back was the fact that the museum was so expertly curated and the books that they made specifically just for this exhibit, they look, Kyle's like, where can I buy this book? And it's like, well, you can't because they made these sort of books that were open to certain pages and just reflecting what was going on in the display. And they had things like the inspiration for Mothra, Batra, they had the, you know, Hydra, the smog monster, they had like little things. They had a flying, uh, what were they called? Those um, uh, sail lizards, or whatever, for, for Varan. They had, they had all these things that, like from nature, that inspired these kaiju um, designs. And just, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a more precise, well curated, specific um, uh, display that had such continuity to it. Yeah, it had a lovely continuity to it, absolutely, because not only was it visually sort of similar, they used the same sort of techniques. So it's like a it's like a wood a wood carving, not wood carving. It's almost like cut out little shapes out of wood that they're using like to display. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um and and the books, yes, like David said, the books are they've got like the you know, this figure of King Caesar and then oh, behind right. them there's a book open and it shows a you know a temple dog a shisa dog in in this book and yeah it looks like these are all actual book like some book that was created that said like what are the origins of the kaiju 
And no, they just made these books specifically for the display. Another really awesome point of the display uh, section is like a gigantic diorama that they built of two filming sets. One is like the big pool at Toho, and it looks like they're filming a war scene with battleships going down. And then another miniature set off to the side of that is them filming a Godzilla set with buildings and uh, and the Godzilla suit. And it's just really, really, it's so cool. I wish you could actually see it, but it was definitely one of those areas. They're like, no pictures <laughs> allowed in this area. Well, maybe hopefully someday, Kyle, they'll they'll release their own photos of these things so people can actually see it. Because um, when he's talking about these these dioramas, these displays, they were in a room by themselves. They were huge. They were huge, like maybe two ping pong tables, you know, put together, like yeah. really displays. And you know, it's one of those things where you could be in there for an hour and just notice all the little nuances and and details in each one and um it, it was just being there i personally didn't know what to look at first and um i kept going around and around i i do my usual museum shtick where i walk in i do an overview and then i sort of go back mm -hmm. and focus on the things that i find most interesting but sadly everything was interesting so i had to go back and look at everything uh there was nothing that that wasn't interesting um but they had some beautiful props, uh, models of like Moonlight SY3. They had an, an amazing replica of P1. From Nuts from, Zero, uh, yeah, yeah. Zero, they had uh, several Mazer tanks. They had, um, oh, one of the things that I found most impressive, it, when you first walk in there, they had a big giant display case. And they had a scene from Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster with Godzilla, Rodan, Mothra, and of course, King Ghidra. And it was done by Sakai. And as far as I know, that particular diorama was done by him years ago in the 25 centimeter scale. But this one was 30 centimeters. And it was just massive and impressive. And, and I was telling Kyle, I said, I would sell off a good portion of my collection just to have this piece. You know, um, just, just again, like I, I, it's hard to articulate how how impressed we all were by this, by this exhibit. Yeah. It's not just David, not just myself, also Butch. And then we also ran into our good friend, Ed Gojicheski. That was very serendipitous as well. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I think it should be noted. I can't remember if we talked about it in the last episode, but for some reason, there sure were a lot of foreigners <laughs> in town. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know the reason is, I think it's because of Wonder Festival, really. So it's funny to us because we didn't go to Wonder Festival. We're there for the, you know, having a vacation in Japan. But there's all these opportunities to meet up with other <laughs> other gaijin. And we did it uh, quite a bit. We did, you know, not not planned out either. Um, it was it was pretty great to see him there. And, um, you know, he was equally impressed. I mean, he's an, a longtime fan and uh, he he's very knowledgeable ab about the the, the genre, and he was, you know, equally impressed, I, I would say, as we were. Well, it was a gorgeous display, and we don't need to keep talking about it because uh, then we're just going to talk about our memories. Uh, but let's go ahead and move along to those statues outside. So like we said earlier, there's 11 statues lining the road up to the Tete Museum, the uh, Sukagawa Community Center where, where the Tsuburaya Museum is actually located. 
it was, I think it was half and half, right? Half of them, half of the statues are ultras and half the yeah, statues are kaiju. Yep, I would say that's true. And the kaiju were basically from the original 39 episodes and the few Ultra Q. Actually, no, they were, that, that was Pigmon. That wasn't Garamon. So they didn't have any Ultra Q. They just had a few from Seven. Oh, they had they Kanagon. Had- Kanagon was Ultra Q. Oh, that's right. They did have Kanagon. So you're right. So, so they it's had basically, Ultra- yeah. So it was basically Ultra Q, Ultraman, and Ultra Seven, I think, in terms of yeah. the monsters. And then they did have, like, I think they had Taro and Leo. Or, or Ace. They had Taro and Ace as far as the Ultraman themselves go. And then they had the female uh, mother of Ultra 2. She was towards the end. They had her there too. Um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they had Bemster and Ella King and Gamora. Ah, the Gamora was really gorgeous. Pretty gorgeous. Pigmon, Kanagon. Uh, yeah, and so these are literally like every, I don't know, 50 feet or something like that. There's an Ultraman statue. And it's totally walkable, by the way. If you're going, if you're like, oh, I'm interested in doing this and the weather's good, you can just walk from the station to the museum. And yeah, it's, it's a and a half, maybe. totally easy, totally simple See. walk. Uh, great, a great way to stop and just take pictures, of course. Uh, we did not take uh, the walk, the scenic walk on the way there. We actually hopped in a cab, which was kind of funny because the guy definitely was an Ultraman fan. And when he found out that we were Ultraman fans, uh, he was thrilled to take us on this, you know, short $7 trip up the road. Uh, amazing. It was funny. Amazing. Yeah. He was so happy. Now, Kyle, we, we sort of wrapped up the museum part a little early. We did not talk about the film. Oh, right. Oh, right. What did you, th- so, so let's, let's talk can. about why the suit was, how the right. suit was utilized. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, in addition to the amazing displays and the Godzilla suit, they had a film that was created utilizing the suit, the Sakai suit. And, and um, I'm actually speechless when I think about it because I, it's everything I want to see in a future Godzilla movie. It was basically the classic tokusatsu style suit acting um, updated with modern technology. And the Shodai Godzilla was actually attacking Tokyo or actually that area by the train station. It started off there, right? And then I don't know where it ended up, but um, I always thought if I wanted to see that type of thing, like a a modern Godzilla film, it would be a complete throwback. Mm-hmm. And Shogai Godzilla would be set, uh, would be in 1954 as the first film was, but this one was, was a contemporary um, uh, depiction of the, the, uh, the Shodai Godzilla. See, I'm, I'm, I'm tongue tied because I'm so blown away by that, by, by what I saw. Why don't you pick up from here while I collect my thoughts? Sure. So, I mean, basically they, they filmed what I would call a practical Godzilla attack scene with this actual suit and with actual tokusatsu effects where, you know, you have these physical models being used, these physical buildings being walked through, and then they enhanced it a little bit with some, you know, CGI effects, but it was, for the most part, it was the same techniques that you would see used in an, uh, a classic Godzilla film, 
were used in this short film. And the film was only about six minutes long. I wish it was longer. Uh, But I also wish you could (laughs) buy it and take it home, which you could not do. Which, you know, I asked if Uh, if it's helpful. I had to go and because I would I would like kill to own this this film. But yeah, as Kyle said, um, mostly I'd say like 85 percent practical effects, if not more. And um, just the, the the crispness of the of the film and seeing that suit, so like in the fifty four, it's a, it's a bit grainy, it's a bit dark, um, which you know it's, it, it's good in its own way. But this was a crisp, clear film that showed every little thing, and um, they it was great. And and in addition to the six minute film, they had. Um, the making of before and after they had a little bit, they, they, they discussed the process of, of creating this film and then they had a little bit more afterwards. So we were able to see how they actually made it. And um, Kyle, Kyle had mentioned that uh, when he was at the DNA exhibit, a lot of the familiar faces he recognized were in this making of, and they had a hand in creating this film. So again, it was, it was everything I wanted to see and more, and and if they ever, if Toho ever decided to do a feature film, a full length film, with using this this technique, with a you know, for example, the Shodai suit which we saw, I would definitely die a happy man for sure. It definitely proves that it can be done, in my can opinion. Hundred percent. And it it to me it just sort of was it's more of a showcase of like hey look this is what we could do for a museum piece why don't we actually start moving back towards that direction and i hope that some director in the future at toho takes that sort of you know same information away from seeing that kind of exhibit seeing that kind of little film and that they also follow suit and they say you know Let's go back to the practical effects. Let's go back to the man in the suit, or at least the physical representation that can't be mimicked so well with CGI. 100%. 100%. And, and going back to your documentary, Hail to the King, you know, we were talking about with, with the, the, um, the Toho actors and the new generation of, of, of kaiju fans and how they're all hoping that this will, will, will become reality. And, and look, look what's happened in a short amount of time. We got this film. So it's a good first step, I think, in the realization of actually having a feature film. And, and it's very exciting to me because, um, the, I, and again, it goes back to, to them not allowing us to show what's at this museum, the more exposure it gets. Mm-hmm. And they'll realize how popular it is and how many people do want to see this Japanese and otherwise. I think it would just be such a great thing to, uh, for them to realize that, Hey, maybe we can make money doing this. Maybe we can, you know, have a successful film like this. And, and, you know, it had so much heart to it. And, and there's so much like, you know, uh, artisanal work that goes into making these buildings. Like I think I even pointed out to you, when Godzilla's tail knocked over a building, you could see the, the the metal girders that are still exposed, and it just looked as if it were CGI, but it was practical. You know, uh, I mean, you could tell it was not CGI, but it, it was so ex- expertly done that you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, I get t- I get tongue tied when I when I think about it, 
Um, yeah, just, I, just, I just want people to to take away that it's it's doable. You know, we don't have to abandon the old ways. We just have to find ways to augment it, really. Exactly. 100%. 100%. So anyway, that, again, if, if anyone goes to Japan and they find themselves with a little bit of free time and they're, they're a fan of, of Godzilla and Tsuburaya and Ultraman, it's absolutely worth the trip out to the Fukushima prefecture to check this out. And it's, it's, you know, you, we, we did it. We, we were home by like four o'clock, right? It, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a day trip, basically. It's a day trip. A day trip. And if you, if you, you know, you're limited for time, you can squeeze it into a half day if you go a little earlier. You totally um, could. It just, could. I would just tell people, I would warn people, if you're a huge fan, don't limit your time so much at the museum oh, no. because you really want to see every inch of it. You do want to see it. And, um, it's, it's definitely worth going out there. And uh, we actually uh, ran into a guy, a model building friend of ours, uh, Ryan Mitchell uh, from England, who um, asked uh, about the museum and how we, we, we thought of, uh, about it and, and what, our, what our opinion was on it. And he said, is it worth going to? And we absolutely said yes. And he did end up going and he loved it. He was totally blown away by it as well. So Yeah, so it's totally doable in a day. Uh, totally doable in a half day if you manage your time well. And when I say manage your time well, I mean like get on the earliest train that you can so that it kind of spits you out at the museum at the opening time, which is 10 a.m. It's also closed, I think, on Tuesdays. So heads up there. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, just you can go up, see the museum and head back if you really have like no time. But if you have some extra time, those statues lining the road were awesome. Also, there is an Ultraman store two ah, two yes. doors down, I guess you could say a uh, little M 78 store owned, uh, operated by some people maybe related to Subaraya. They were, they were really sweet, really nice to us. And this little store had lots of like Ultraman things that you could buy, but they had a ton of stuff on display that was not available for sale. Um, I really wanted to try on the Science Patrol helmet <laughs> that they had on the shelf, but I didn't feel comfortable asking that. <laughs> and he probably would have let you, though. He you probably know. would have. He was super cool. Those people were nice. Uh, but worth checking out, for sure. And, uh, you know, for for the record, you know, the the listeners are going to get some stuff. The listeners who uh, are, have those prize packs that I talked about earlier, they're going to get some coasters from Sukagawa that you can't get anywhere else. So anyway, we had a great time at that day trip, I guess you could say. You should go to, especially if you're in the Tokyo area. If you don't get a rail pass, I will say that each way will cost you about $75 uh, to get up there and to get back down on the Shinkansen. Yeah, it's a bit steep. So the rail pass, if you're going to do day trips of any sort, it's absolutely a pace for itself. In, in no time. Oh, dude, I did all the math, by the way. Like, I, I may include this in the episode, but I did the math for how much all the all the Shinkansen passes would have cost us. It would oh have gosh. been almost $1,000. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we got a two-week rail pass, which is, a, I think, like four, $420 maybe. Uh, so yeah, it seems kind of steep when you're like, oh, am I going to really use this? And we took... A total of five Shinkansens, one up to Sapporo, then another back down to Kyoto, then one up to Tokyo, and then one up to Koryama, and then back from Koryama. I think that's five. So that all together cost you, David, cost me 
the cost of the rail pass, but like if you don't have the rail pass, that would have cost like a, about like nine hundred plus dollars, basically. And you can you can also add a good chunk of change too for all the subway um, ruts that we used with the JR too, because that that would have cost us as well. Yeah, I was not counting any of that stuff because I cannot tell you how many times we flashed that pass in Tokyo. It was it was great. Actually, Tokyo and Kyoto, we used it all the time. Yeah, so- I bet that you could add another, you know, hundred bucks at least with uh, with just our tooling around Tokyo uh, on the subways. Probably, yeah. We used it quite a bit, and um, you know, as much as possible because we paid for it. So um, <laughs> there was only a few times we needed to use the Suica card or the Pasmo, uh, but you know, the Yamanote line is basically a JR you know, line. So we were able to, to like sort of use that as our base to, to go all over the place. So yeah, absolutely. JR, JR pass is a must if you're going to spend any significant amount of time in Japan and travel outside of Tokyo. For sure. So let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the other stuff we did in Tokyo before we wrap this episode up, just because I think one of the things I've heard from listeners is they like it when we talk about the non Kaiju stuff as well, because that way if yeah. they want to go, uh, I could be like, oh, check it out. So the next thing I'd say we did is we went to the Edo Tokyo Museum, which is a museum I've had bookmarked for several years now. In fact, I would have gone on one of my more recent trips, but they were closed for remodeling. And so on this trip, I was very happy that the boys said, that sounds cool. Let's go check it out. And it's essentially a museum that chronicles the building of Tokyo. Because Tokyo used to be, you know, the imperial capital of Japan in the Edo period. And so they talk about, I think it's the end of the Meiji Restoration into the Edo beginnings. And then how Tokyo evolved from the 17th century on, essentially. And it was filled with these beautiful, beautiful dioramas showing what life was like in, like the 17th century in Japan. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really impressive and um, basically not what I expected either. They had um, the, 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 the thing that impressed me the most was one of the first things that we saw when you enter the museum, you cross this big giant replica of a, an Edo style bridge. And then the first thing you see is a diorama depicting like a scene utilizing that bridge in the diorama. So you're like, wow, this is what it looked like in, in, in relation to the, the village or the town. Uh, just, just things like that. And uh, when, when Kyle talks about the, the, these dioramas, they were just like, you, you, again, you could spend, you know, huge, you spend a half an hour at each one or more just looking at all the intricate details and um, yeah, exquisitely made these dioramas. I, I want to also point out that there's people in the dioramas. It's not just the buildings. They have actually made it look as if someone has taken a snapshot in time from the Edo period. And there's a ton of people crossing the bridge, a ton of people walking around town. Uh, Really well done. Yeah, it was, it was just great. And, and, you know, kind of overwhelming. It was a very big museum. It was huge. It had multiple floors. They had, um, uh, life-size reproductions of, uh, like houses and, and shops and things like that. Um, just really, really well done, well done. And they had, uh, docents that could explain 
to uh, the visitors what each each you know area is all about. And we didn't necessarily choose to do that, but we were sort of listening in on some of the other um, speeches that these docents were saying. So I learned a lot from that too. Um, one, one of the things that stuck out to me, they had a, a restaurant there and they showed what sushi looked like in the Edo period. And it's, it was much, much larger, like three times the size because <laughs> so the, the pieces were bigger that you eat it, eat it all at once. And, um, I just, so that, that's how intricate it was. They showed actually the way the sushi looked back then. So, and, uh, it just, and, and then it went up, it, it didn't only do the Edo period. It continued all the way through to modern times as, as you snake through the museum. Um, again, we, we could, I, we could have spent another hour in there, but you know, time is limited and you can't, you know, we had other things on, on the agenda for that day. Yeah. We had to go eat some ramen. <laughs> we, well, that, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, and, a, it was a really great museum. Um, I have actually museums outside of like kaiju related things are something I just haven't really done that much of in Japan. And so when, uh, I think it was when we took the kaiju cast trip, someone asked me about museums and I was like, Oh, Wow, yeah, I guess we could go to a museum. I I never really think about going to museums because there are so many cultural things you can do at the ready. Like, you don't need to go to a museum to see what it was like at a shrine because you can just go to the shrine, which is down the street, you know what I mean? But this this actually sort of opened my eyes, and now I think I'm actually going to start looking more into other museum exhibits that are around there are definitely some exhibits that we did not hit that uh, I'm sure, you know, if I could split myself into three different people, I would have loved to go check out that Hoaxai updated exhibit oh that we saw. There's just a bunch of stuff. It's all like there are things always happening in Tokyo. It's a really busy city, obviously. Uh, but the, the, you know, the Tokyo Edo Museum, or I guess technically it's the Edo Tokyo Museum. Really, really, really cool to see. I think it was six bucks to get into the museum. Uh, and we spent uh it was actually serendipitous for us too because it was a rainy day in tokyo and we did not get rained on almost at all because we were in the museum at that time it was perfect it was perfect timing and and you know we were in japan for a little over two weeks and that little tiny bit of drizzle just walking from the train station to the museum and then the very last night walking from the restaurant back to the train station I mean, a total of 10 minutes maybe of, of rain on the entire trip in two and a half weeks. That's pretty darn good, I think. Yeah, we lucked out uh, weather-wise. And, and then the last day, uh, the, our last full day was like over 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, it was going bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> uh, so that night, we finished things off with going to Kaiju Sakaba Shimbashi. We met two of our friends, three of our friends, actually. We met uh, Shinpei Hayashia's wife. Hayashia, unfortunately, could not join us. Uh, and his, I guess, his protege, Anko, for his Rakugo performance as well. She was there. And Ed Holland from Monster Attack Team Magazine joined us for an evening with kaiju drinks and food at the uh, Shimbashi yeah. location. Now, that was Lots the first time you'd ever been there, Dave. Tell us uh, your That's impressions. True. That was my third uh, Kaiju Sakaba first being when we went to hell to the King uh, at the Kawasaki location. And second was my epic birthday party at the, uh, Osaka, uh, Kaiju Sakaba, which is no longer there, sadly. 
And then this, this was the third one. Um, this, the, the, the third and the smallest, I have to say, but they still had quite a few cool things there and they had a lot of really neat things to buy too. So, um, a lot easier to get to than, than the other two were, um, if you're in Tokyo, but, um, and if you know how to get there from the, from the station, we're like sitting there going like, oh, oh man, which true. way yeah. is it? Cause it's in the station, but the Google instructions are pretty, pretty poor on how to get there. I'm going to have to submit new ones to them. I'm going to backtrack a bit. You skipped one cool thing. I'll just briefly touch on it. Oh yeah. Where ramen after the museum was actually in Akihabara. And, um, it was a ramen place that wasn't, there was no English there either. It was a vending machine, so we kind of figured out what ramen we were getting, and we went upstairs. And interestingly enough, it was right across from a little place called Mandarake. So we're we're staring out the window at the big Mandarake in Akihabara, and I could see the Godzilla's little teeny from in the window from where I'm sitting there sipping my delicious ramen broth, and uh, that was kind of a fun thing too. That was a cool place. Another very lowbrow place. And uh, yeah, because there was no English on the menu, <laughs> I want to just mention, you can also do this, listeners. Let someone go in front of you and then watch what they do, because that's mm. how we got to our ramen orders. <laughs> that's right. And Kyle ordered a, a kaiju-sized ramen that day. King size, yeah. That was one of the biggest ramen bowls I think I've ever seen. It was very filling. But you conquered it. You I conquered it. It would. I would say it was very satisfying. Except uh, I would have taken about half, if not two thirds, of the bean sprouts out of that ramen. Sure. The broth yeah. was delicious. The pork was fed and tabulous. So uh, mm-hmm. those sort of overshadow all of the bean sprouts that <laughs> they was piled bean with. Bean sprouts would be back to visit us later on that evening. That too, is right? true. That is true. Uh, <laughs> That's. Too much information, but. <laughs> a little bit. But the the kaiju sakaba in Shimbashi, I think listeners should know about it because it's one of those places. Like it's kind of it's a little faster to get to because you don't have to go outside of the Tokyo city limits to go to Kawasaki. And I'll tell you what, you know, one of the things about going to the Kawasaki branch of kaiju sakaba is if you stay late, you have to watch those final trains. But the Shimbashi oh, sure. one is like literally in a stop on the Yamanote line. So it was, there was much less danger of us, you know, even coming close to the time where we'd have to be like, are we going to have to take the last train back? You know, Mm. which is never, never fun. We had a couple of instances like that on this trip and it's a a little bit of a a wasabi smear of uh, stress onto the trip when you (laughs) add that to an evening out for me. Definitely, definitely true. But it was great. And we were done in plenty of time. And I think that was the night that we went on to uh, Ikibukuro. Uh, our neighbors had arrived from Seattle and we had a beer with them on, on their first night in Tokyo, which was really fun, too. Yeah. And then the next day we met up with them and we did a Saksa in the morning. And that's where they have the gigantic temple Sensoji where uh, if listeners have seen pictures of Japan, the chances of you seeing pictures of this temple, because it's very picturesque, are very high. There's a huge, massive red lantern at the gate leading up to the, to, uh, up to the giant temple, along with street vendors uh, lining this path going up. It's, not, it's actually less street vendors and more like permanent shops, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, big giant, uh, a big giant temple, 
uh, big pagoda, uh, smaller temples and shrines around it. Sensoji is actually, there's a reason it's so popular, and that's because there's so much stuff to see, and it's just very beautiful. They have a huge, giant uh, Buddha sandal on the wall, I saw. Ah, yeah, I like Sensoji. I don't have any problem going back there. It was fun to take your neighbors uh, around that area, too. They really appreciated that because um, to see it for the first time on a day like that, that was not a cloud in the sky and over 60 degrees. Oh, yeah. That perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect perfect weather. Um, And you can also see a really great view uh, of the sky tree in the distance. So it's kind of neat to see that. We didn't have a chance to to do that this trip, but that's another thing we can do on a future trip is, is actually check out the sky tree. But seeing it from, you know, the vantage point, you know, with all the, the shrines and temples, it's kind of a neat little thing to see or a neat big thing to see. Neat big thing for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, one of the things that makes Asakusa cool for us is that it's attached to Kapabashi Street, which is the street mm. where there's a lot of um, restaurant supply stores on this street, which includes <laughs> stores where you can get the fake food. And David and Keith picked me up a really awesome ramen bowl that you know has like this fake ramen. It looks so realistic that uh, somebody at my work literally thought it was real. Uh, <laughs> I freaked them out, which was awesome. Uh, but uh, in addition to going to Kapabashi Street for that kind of stuff, it's also has a Kappa theme, this street. And like there are Kappa mascots all down the street, all down the side streets. There is actually a shrine. The Kappa Shrine was awesome, and I'm glad that we got to go see it. Me too. Uh, it yeah. was really neat, and especially if you're fans of yokai and Japanese folklore and, and creatures. It was definitely fun. And um, there's also, you know, strewn within this area, besides just the restaurant supply, there's these little, like, artisan shops that we popped into, too. And, um, you know, we, we, our neighbors really enjoyed those shops, too. Um, Little, 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 great little, little local artisans making these great little clay sculptures and pots and things. So, yeah, it's if if you if you have time and you want to get out of the crowd. I mean, there was hardly any people. I mean, not nearly the amount of people that were in um, Asakusa, where where the shrine and the um, the shopping area is. So it's it's a nice little way to sort of get away from the crowds for for a minute. Yeah, it's actually very, that's one of the coolest things about Asakusa is like, it's only really busy up that main drag and into the the temple. And then once you break off of that area, there are so many things you can see and do nearby. And there's not a ton of people around. Uh, I've picked up, I've picked up some cool stuff for the family back home with some of the souvenir shops. Uh, We had an awesome sushi dinner where we saw (laughs) saw some mackerel getting prepared directly from the like freshest sushi I've ever seen. Really? (laughs) I mean, that was definitely something that, that I had never seen either. And uh, luckily Keith was in the bathroom because uh, his sensibilities are a little bit more uh, sensitive than mine are, but it was neat to see how, how that actually works. And um, yeah. Yeah. And we saw one, unlucky mackerel and we saw some very relieved mackerel <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and <laughs> anyway so we had a great little sushi lunch and then we headed over to harajuku 
Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's because uh, David's neighbors, that includes their daughter, Zoe, and uh, she was definitely very happy to check out Harajuku. Which is- she was stoked. She was stoked. She was in her element. I mean, she's almost 14, and for a 14-year-old girl, Harajuku is like paradise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like us going to Nakano Broadway, right? Kind of like that. Yeah, right? it's actually very similar, I would say. It's very crowded. <laughs> it's very shop-filled, you know? You could easily drop hundreds to thousands of dollars there, I'm sure. And a lot of the things in these shops cater to the 14-year-old girl, you know, the 14-year-old girl sensibilities. Um, it's a lot of kawaii things and a lot of cosplay things. And- a, Harajuku is its own culture, really. And yeah. it's, a, it's a culture that's been popularized, I think I would say, by... I think Gwen Stefani had a, had a Harajuku girl's... Uh, song or something at one point but anyway I probably should not say this because I think it's stupid when I say it out of my <laughs> when it comes out of my mouth but I'm like a Harajuku hipster because I was going to Harajuku when I lived there in 1987 uh, and it's still the same it's always been it's never been like super major kawaii like that like it is today like back then I don't know when that started but Harajuku has always been busy on the weekends it's a place where uh, even culturally I would say Japanese subculture comes out to play. And yeah, I, I was expecting more of that actually, Kyle, because like when you were going to it back in the eighties, it was probably more of the, you know, older young people dressed up in like 1950s, you know, exactly. That, yes. That, that was my impression of Harajuku. It sort of morphed into what it is today. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but we didn't see much or any of that. This well, particular yeah. We were there on a weekday and I don't think it happens anymore like this, but when I was there and then, you know, for many, 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 many decades, I think the, um, I shouldn't say that <laughs> for de- decades, I would say that Sunday is the day where you'd see all that stuff. But I don't know. I have been there on a Sunday in recent years and have not seen a lot of visual eye candy, which is right, what I'm right, used right. to seeing uh, yeah, greasers dancing on the uh, outside the the Meiji Shrine. Uh, you know, people in like super colorful kawaii wear. This is that's the kind of stuff that you associate with Harajuku right now, and I don't see that a lot. But we did see some people kind of parade, yeah. parading their stuff around, which was awesome. Yeah, no, it was it was I had never seen it before, and you know, Keith had never seen it before either. So it was definitely worth seeing. Um, like I think you said. Definitely not like a must for a future trip. Like I've seen it and I'm good. You know, um, I was just stoked to see Zoe love it so much that, that, that was what, what made me the happiest. And, um, but yeah, I, I think if you would ask her what her favorite thing to do on that trip was, I would probably, I would, Harajuku was yeah. at the top of her list. I would imagine Harajuku was definitely up there. Uh, and we are really talking about the last full day of our our trip in uh, in Tokyo. So we ended that day uh, by joining up with some friends, Jamie and Kumi, and having a lovely izakaya dinner at a kid friendly izakaya restaurant, which I thought was awesome. Really great food at that place. That was fantastic. We went out to really, see them really in Shiba. Great. Really great food. Now Keith, Keith just whispered in my ear. We forgot to talk about, we can just mention it, the Owl Cafe or the Owl Forest and the Shiba Cafe. 
Sure, so, sure. Go, go ahead. Right. Tell well, you should tell me about the owl for us because I missed out on it. Sure. Well, the owl that it was kind of a, a thing where we got there a little bit later than we had planned. So we had intended to go to both the Sheba and the Owl Cafe. So long story short, we couldn't get into the Sheba Cafe till 5:30, and it was now about three o'clock or before three. So the Owl Cafe, we could go in right then and there. So Kyle had already done an Owl, Owl Cafe. This was actually an Owl Forest. There was no cafe involved. So what you did is you just pay your money and you walk through this little foresty area, this little, um, this little trail that goes through a fake forest. And there's owls, you know, throughout that you can actually pet the back of their heads and take really close-up photos of. So it was really, really fun. Um, now, the Sheba Cafe, Zoe really wanted to do that too. And Kyle, of course, is a huge Sheba fan. And um, he wanted to see some, they're, they're called ma, Mame Shibas. Yeah, Mame Shiba. Mame means bean. And so they are basically like miniature Shibas. So yeah. Hachi's like normal Shiba sized, which means he's about the size of a tall corgi. Like if you extended the legs of a standard corgi, <laughs> uh, that's about how big he is. Medium sized dog, I guess is what they're classified as. But yeah, Mame Shibas are bred to be smaller. And they're all, uh, all the ones in the cafe, at least, were females too. Yeah, no, that I, I we, we didn't get a chance to do that because we had to rush back to the Airbnb to get some stuff to bring that evening for our friend uh, Jamie to ship back to the States for us. So Keith and I did that. Kyle took my neighbors to the Shiba Cafe and they spent some time with the little, the little bean Shibas in there. And, um, it looked like that was a blast. And again, something to do on a future trip for, for us. Yeah. I would, um, never, never hesitate to go back. Although the one thing I will say is I thought that the Mame Shiba cafe was only in Harajuku. And during this trip, we saw several other ones. And so now I know you don't have to regulate yourself to just going to Harajuku and the craziness of Harajuku. We saw one in the Nishiki market in Kyoto, actually, uh, we saw I one think, in Asakusa too. And where? Asakusa, there was one as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, uh, I might be able to include some links in the show notes to other Mame Shiba cafes, which I would be happy to visit all the time. Yeah. Because I am mildly obsessed with the Shiba breed. <laughs> I, I say mildly, yeah, is an understatement, but yes. <laughs> uh, David, don't, don't try not to blow my cover here. I know, I know. But uh, the, yeah, so we 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 finished our day at this izakaya with Jamie and Kumi. Had a really awesome time, and then uh, right when we were leaving the Chiba area, it starts to rain. So again, we got caught in the rain for just a smidge. Uh, David and Keith picked up some taiyaki, which are the bean fish. <laughs> taiyaki are fish shaped pastries but they're actually like really delicious there's no fish involved it's got uh traditionally has onko inside which is the red bean uh, but they also have other ones you can get they had sakura flavor at this one place and they uh often have cream and they sometimes have matcha flavor as well yeah yeah they do this this place was only had two kinds and uh jamie had we weren't going to go, but Jamie had said it's a very famous place in the Chiba area, so we need to try one. So we did. Um, yeah, they're they're like little pancakes made in these little molds of fish, and they put the, uh, the the filling inside, and then they put more filling, and then they close them up, and 
And in a few minutes, you've got a delicious little uh, treat. So yeah, we definitely had those. And then we headed back to Tokyo. I mean, yeah, it's Tokyo from Chiba. And um, that was our last night. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty much it. That's that's uh, really not too much to cover. I mean, we could talk about the ramen place that we found the next day, but overall, the next day was spent packing up, cleaning up, and uh, making our way back to Narita Airport so we could head home. Uh, anyway, that's that was our adventure. I don't think we really need to cover anything else, but uh, if you enjoyed this talk, thank you for listening to us. Uh, <laughs> ramble on about our time in Japan. David... And Keith, I saw Keith was back there earlier, if he's still there. Hey, buddy. Uh, Thank you guys so much for going with me on that trip. Uh, I really did have such an amazing time. It was like one of the best vacations I've ever had. Ditto. And thank you for, for, you know, sort of orchestrating a lot of the awesome things that we did and and helping us get around. And, And it's funny because every time... I'm ready to go home or it's my last day or two, I start to really fall into the knack of getting it like, okay, I got this. And then you go home because yeah. you, know, <laughs> you get really accustomed to, 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 to the, you know, what, what you need to do. And, Finally, when it starts all to click, it's time to go back. But, yeah. you know, I think the, our first time in uh, Sapporo, we were talking about how like every time we left the house or came back to the house, we would get a little bit lost. And then like, yes, of course, the last night. Oh, nope, we don't need the map today. Right to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, if anybody, any of you listeners would like to join Kyle on a future KaijuCast trip, I'll tell you what, he's the best tour guide He's the best. Um, uh, just has a lot of patience. He's he's he knows what he's talking about. He he can help in so many ways, and and it's definitely a good way for your first trip to Japan to go with somebody like Kyle, who who knows the ins and outs and can really help you get get accustomed to being in Japan. So please, you know, consider a Kaiju Cast trip. I, I know the last the, the next one's completely full. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the we're doing and, one in November. It's all all filled up. But um, I, I dare say he will be offering more such trips in the future. And um, again, it's a really great way to see Japan, especially if you're a kaiju fan. And even if you're not, you know, uh, I'm not sure uh, how many uh, other cultural things that you do, but I'm sure you, you you will do some stuff aside from just doing toy shopping. So anyway. Uh, thank you for, for, for all that you do. And we had an amazing time as well. And, um, I feel satisfied. I'm tired and, um, I can't wait to get back and edit some photos, which maybe you'll put a link to after I make an album so people can see what we've been talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're going to sign off David. Thanks again. Listeners, My thank you. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with our Daikaiju discussion episode for the brand new Godzilla anime at the end of this month. We'll see you then. Cheers, everybody. Jamata.
can't be 